1: Premier Doug Ford and his cabinet will be meeting sometime this week to debate some sort of a vaccine passport or certificate here in Ontario. One that could reportedly be used to limit access to certain non-essential services. The introduction of a proof of vaccination program would mark a significant reversal for the premier, who has repeatedly rejected the idea, saying he doesn't want to see a split society. The government has been facing growing calls over the past few weeks from business leaders, municipal leaders, and health professionals to bring in a unified province-wide program. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Isaac Bogosh says it's a tool that would be very helpful during this fourth wave of COVID-19. It's
2: important to have mechanisms to help keep businesses open, to help make safer indoor spaces, and to help prevent further transmission. Like, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Other provinces are already moving ahead with a vaccine passport program, including BC and Quebec. Sandy Salerno, Global News. Uh, don't know too much more detail other than that and uh, hopefully going to find out more uh, later on in the week about this Uh, polling said that's what you want let's bring in peter graff professor of political science mcmaster university he is with us now peter thank you for the time i hope you're doing well and you too so your thoughts on the uh, provincial government now talking about a vaccine passport when up until now they have decided it's not necessary
2: yeah i mean it is a bit Because, uh, you know, the premier did pretty much draw a line in the sand saying he was just not going to do that. And, uh, you know, and a clear reason why he felt it was going to create, you know, divisions in the population. Uh, But we have been seeing increasing levels of public support for uh, a vaccine passport, both in terms of the public at large, but also, you know, significant segments of the business community uh, calling for one. And at the same time, a lot of institutions adopting their own. I mean, if you want to go to a tie-cats game in September, uh, you know, they're applying uh, some kind of proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. A lot of employers, uh, you know, again, are requiring that of their employees. So, you know, whether the government acts or not, people will be forcing, you know, facing some kind of vaccine passport system. So the idea of a divided society doesn't really apply anymore because we're there by the decisions of, you know, non-governmental institutions to begin uh... you know requiring these forms of proof
0: since we are already required these the, these forms of, of proof, do we need a vaccine passport? Um, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. I encourage everybody to be fully vaccinated. Uh, and I've told this story before, going into my doctor's office or going into my mother's long-term care facility, uh, the DR code and, and what I have that I've taken a picture of on my phone, that has got me in. As you mentioned, all these other places now have uh, mandatory in some form, as mandatory as it can be i guess under canadian law will what will the vaccine passport do how does that transfer what we have to some sort of superpower is there much difference i mean obviously there's convenience we've heard issues of security but is that the real reason we're doing this or is there some sort of false assumption that this gives us more than what we already have
2: yeah i mean i think probably you can get a bit better at anti-fraud in 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 a you know a a proper system I mean, I think a lot of it is uh reducing costs uh you know if every institution has to develop their own protocols and do their own check at some point in time, uh, it gets pretty costly having one standard way of doing it seems uh to be a pretty efficient uh response to that i mean I think another thing that you know is useful in this is that you know the government going forward and doing it, it allows us to address the concerns that people have had around privacy or around having, you know, being discriminated against on, you know, whatever ground. Uh, You know, they can really come and be clear about what the limitations to the rights are that they think those are, so that people who are opposed to this, you know, can go and have their day in court and have a, you know, a pretty uh, clear thing uh, to deal with. Uh, but you know, I, I think that's preferable to every separate institution having to come up with its own set of you know protocols or understandings about the protection of privacy. So I think there's a variety of things where doing it in, in one place is ultimately you know more efficient, but also allows you to deal with some of these bigger questions that you can't you know if if everyone is doing their own. And then when you get down to you know just you know your mom and pop shop, uh, you know the cost involved in trying to figure out your own protocol for checking this kind of thing. It's it's pretty prohibitive, and you're probably less likely to actually, you know, engage it. And so, you know, if we follow uh, the advice we had in the last news story about why this is an important way of allowing us to be indoors, uh, even as adult variant spreads, uh, you know, we can have that across a much range of, broader range of institutions, not just the ones that have the capacity, uh, you know, to set in these kinds of protocols in place
0: uh you were talking about one system should it be one system then instead of a different one across every province is this something that the fed should be doing since they're going to have to be doing it as part of an international passport system anyway
2: yeah i mean that would seem to be a logical way to go although you know in this instance <laughs> you know the, the federal government hasn't gone that way and so you know, I guess it's a trade-off you have to make. You know, is it is it enough in a, a population of 13 million people, 14 million people like Ontario, which is bigger than, you know, a lot of European nation-states? So, you know, do you have a sufficient economy of scale that it makes sense to do that, right, even if it creates, you know, the odd problem with someone visiting from Manitoba or Quebec? Uh, you know, so when you have a number of provinces take the lead, uh, you know, I think it, it kind of pointed in that direction. There's There's no, uh, you know, I can see in the longer term that the federal government comes up with really uh, high-quality travel documents around this. Uh, You know, presumably that can be worked into the provincial plans. Uh, But in the short term, you know, we we don't see the federal document coming any time. It's been promised by a prime minister who decided to have an election rather than, like, doing that. Um, You know, and, and we have a leader of the opposition who doesn't seem that keen to go in that direction. Uh, you know, do we wait five weeks and then uh, move, or do we move now? Uh, again, there it seems to be a fair bit of uh, arguments in favor of what a bunch of provinces are doing and moving now.
0: Uh, the Prime Minister, as you mentioned, it doesn't seem to be moving forward on a federal issue, but yet is offered money to the provinces to do a piecemeal system. Does that seem right?
2: Well, I, I think from the start of this pandemic, uh, Mr. Trudeau has said, I'm going to get the vaccines," <laughs> but otherwise has done very little to try and, you know, invoke emergency powers to, to act in areas which, you know, the, the provinces generally guard guard their own, and I think this is just the latest version of it. I mean, we can go back to, the, you know, the COVID tracking app, which, you know, a number of provinces shared, but other provinces said, you know, no way, we don't, we don't want to do that. So the federal government, I think, since the start of the pandemic, has said Canada's a decentralized country, and, you know, we'll let the provinces do their own thing, and there'll be some, you know, efficiency losses in the process, but you know, maybe a bit of innovation at the same time, and and we won't be fighting with the provinces. So, I mean, this is, you know, the latest version of it. But uh, again, I mean, there's cases to be made why it would have made sense for the federal government to get out ahead of this uh, a month ago.
0: Do you see the same issues uh, happening with the vaccine passport as we have seen with the COVID-19 app, which saw little
2: uptake? Uh, well, to the extent that you'll have places asking for it, uh, I think it will get a fair bit of uptake. I mean, you, you see people saying, I going to get vaxxed because I want to go to the Labor Day Classic, and uh, you know I want to make sure I, I have that, and it's going to be asked at the gate, and so people will have it. So to the extent that you know, to actually uh, do a number of things it's useful to have, I suspect people will use it. Uh, and again the you know the tracker app uh you know had a lot of people done it, uh, maybe people would have seen a use to it, but even there you didn't need to show it to go go to the grocery store or what have you right. so, so the extent to which you you know you need it uh, to do a lot of tasks will encourage people to to get it and to use it in a way that the tracker app never really took off
0: um the obviously we're seeing the ontario government change its stance on a vaccine passport it looks like this uh week we're going to hear something in regard to that how is that viewed by the electric by the electorate electorate that the fact that a uh, politician or a leader changes his stance on an issue
2: well, I mean, I think in a situation where the majority of the electorate see that having it is a good idea, you know, we're probably up to almost three-quarters of people in that kind of direction, uh, you know, it doesn't really harm <laughs> a government for, you know, that group of people. I think where the potential danger is for, for Doug Ford is in the people who are opposed to it, who I think are a bit overrepresented in his voting base. And, in fact, maybe kind of more particularly Ford Nation voters, people who are really upset with the political system, feel very alienated from it. Um, you know, but saw on Doug Ford, someone who they thought spoke, uh, spoke their language and represented them. And so for them, I think this will be a bit of a betrayal. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, Doug Ford had to be making a bit of a, a calculation about where would he lose or gain votes. And I think as, you know, popular opinion swung more and more towards the idea of these passports, and where you know important constituencies for the economic success of this province in in the uh, in the you know in the sort of business uh, community were pushing for it, i don't think he could hold up much longer, and indeed, to the extent that you had all these private uh, organizations uh coming out ahead of him in some ways they got the brunt of the blame right so you saw, I mean the tie cats getting a lot of uh, angry response when they began asking for that, or other you know banks and so on uh, with their employees so in a way, by holding out long enough, uh, probably Doug Ford has uh, avoided uh, the worst blowback. But, I mean, it will be an issue for him uh, trying to mobilize those voters in the next campaign if they remain really upset about this decision.
0: Is he seen as open-minded or flip-flopping?
2: Uh, I don't know. if uh, you know, I think kind of in between the two. I mean, I don't know if you know Doug Ford is really ever seen as, as flip-flopping. Uh, I think he'll be criticized by some people for taking so long to change his mind. And so for for people who want to have the narrative that, you know, Doug Ford, rather than taking, uh, you know, consequential action at various stages of the pandemic, just kind of let things happen. This is, you know, the latest uh, iteration of that. But again, to the extent that people have been calling for this passport, they're probably happier to see that it's come to be, uh, you know, and, and and we'll take that over any kind of judgment, uh, you know, of Doug Ford. If anything, it's, you know, it's a positive sign on him that despite, Clearly not wanting to do it, uh, he ultimately rallies to that opinion.
0: Peter Graff has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. And you too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, COVID-19 cases uh, are still continuing to uh, hover around the 700 mark. Uh, Ontario sees uh, growth three days in a row, uh, sitting at about 694 new cases today. Obviously, what's important is the hospitalization and uh, capacity in our ICUs and uh, how that is faring during this fourth wave. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Derry Pecus, public health and preventative medicine physician and a professor with the Adal Atlanta School of Public Health at the University of Toronto and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
1: Hi, good afternoon.
0: So your thoughts on where we are right now uh, in Ontario. We've seen numbers uh, obviously uh, jump back up uh, a bit as uh, things open up and we get towards uh, the end of summer. Obviously, September, a, a concern for many. Uh, but what about the hospitalizations and the ICU? How are we holding out there? And, uh, and your thoughts as we enter this fourth wave?
1: So, you know, with the ICU and the hospitalizations, we're still holding out well, and that's been the, reasonably well. You know, it could certainly be better, and it is climbing. Um, but what we really see and what you just noted noted is that when, as we open up, we start the numbers climb. But actually, you know, we opened up a good month ago, And it's really now that they're building. And that's really the concerning thing is that they're building towards the end of the summer now. And then during the fall, when we all get back indoors, which is a more risky environment, they build a lot further. And those hospital and and ICU numbers, they lag. So they're going to be you know increasing four to five weeks or six weeks after the increase in cases. And so that's the really concerning piece that we need to worry about for the fall.
0: Uh, talk about our vaccination rate, where we are uh, at this point, and, and how much farther can we go to actually make more of a dent? I mean, are we talking another 5%? Are we, are we, are we, are we shooting for 90% here, uh, fully vaccinated? Your thoughts on where the, the, the variant, the new variants, and uh, the, specifically the Delta variant, and these vaccines will interject intersect rather. So,
1: yeah, this is a really challenging bit. You know, Almost three weeks ago, we got the very clear science out of Public Health Ontario and others that with the Delta variant, it is so much more transmissible and more severe that we actually need somewhere in the neighbourhood of 91 or 92% across the entire population. And since we're not vaccinating kids right now, that actually means we need somewhere over 100% of our adult population or over 12, which of course is impossible in order to achieve herd immunity. So that is not possible. However, we can certainly you know, get that next 10%, you know, there's almost 2 million Ontarians who are not vaccinated at all. And that is enough people that it can create ongoing transmission and is creating ongoing transmission, particularly when it's in particular age groups or in particular geographic areas. And when that continues,
0: certainly over the
1: winter, we are, we're not going to be in a good place at all. And, and we really need to get at least another 10%. Um, and that's what we're hoping to do with the vaccine passport. Uh,
0: rightly so, Barry. You're pointing out that this all includes without any uh, under twelve vaccinated, because obviously it's uh, yet to be approved in those uh, in that age group. Although they're hoping that certainly by late uh, late uh, sorry late fall, early winter around uh, the holidays, that that may be approved for kids. Uh, I guess five to twelve. How will that change? the complexion of all of this, Barry, when you think of where we are now, once we get to the 5- to 12-year-old cohort done, what will that look like?
1: So that's going to be really, really important overall, because, you know, as we've seen throughout this pandemic, certainly until now, um, schools have been a safe place, and, and kids, as we know, don't get as sick as adults. Um, but when, when it is only those kids, really, in our population, with this much more transmissible variant it's only them that are unvaccinated we are going to see increased number of cases and you know i don't think a lot of kids are going to get very sick certainly um you know we don't expect that to happen but what it does mean is that schools are going to be interrupted and that people are going to be contact of those kids and that's going to impact their lives and so you know it's not going to be like the other waves. every wave is really different um, but it is going to be really impactful and if we can get those kids five to eleven um, vaccinated, and, and hopefully we are going to get some preliminary data out in early September. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, authorities in Canada will uh, give some kind of authorization or allow off-label use of the vaccine, because I know many parents, and in fact, I know many kids who've actually got the vaccine as part of a trial, um, but it, it, there's no reason to think it isn't safe in those groups, and I think we should be starting as early as possible, vaccinating 5 to eleven.
0: Uh, any reason to think, doctor, that the kids will get more sick this September? Uh, considering last, I mean, obviously, I know that the, the obviously we know that the Delta variant spreads a lot more quickly. Um, but but should, do we assume that they will get more sick this year, uh, this September, uh, with adults? Uh, that are 12 plus or anyone 12 plus that are that are vaccinated. Uh, Is there any reason to I I can certainly see how they'll be the only ones left getting sick because they're the only ones left not vaccinated. But is there any reason to believe they will be more sick than they were last year? You know, considering the rest of us are vaccinated.
1: Well, unfortunately, when you have more people in absolute numbers, you're going to have a greater number of people who get severely sick. It's still going to be very low as a proportion, you know, one in a thousand, one in ten thousand kids Who's actually going to get severely ill. But when you have many more numbers of kids ill, which is, which is what the modeling is actually suggesting, then we are going to have some of those ill kids, unfortunately. So you know, it is critically important. You know, there is one thing that families can do going back to school. Uh, there's a lot that's out of their control. There's one thing that's in their control. And every single family, if you can get people vaccinated in your own home, if your household members are all vaccinated, then those unvaccinated kids are much less likely to acquire it, much less likely to bring it in school, and much less likely to pass it on. So that is what really every family member, every parent, because, you know, that, that parent group, actually the 20 to 35, the young parents of kids who are potentially unvaccinated, that is the group that's actually unvaccinated, you know, uh, to the greatest degree right now. So if those people can get vaccinated, that will prevent it coming into schools and I think we'll all be much, much safer.
0: Are you concerned then, Barry, that the hesitancy will get down into the under 12 cohort, considering their parents may be those young adults who are hesitant themselves?
1: For sure. You know, there's no question that when it comes to vaccines, you know, it's kids and pregnant women that are are overwhelmingly, um, you know, people have, you know, good reason to be a little bit more concerned about their health and worried. Um, but, you know, what we've seen with this vaccine is that it's very, very safe in children. You know, this data we've seen so far and, and in many countries where they have immunized, immunocompromised children, we've seen that and pregnant women as well and, and all others. So really, you know, we're waiting for the long term data from the FDA, but the short term data has shown us that there's been no significant signals. So, you know, I, I know that there will be some hesitancy and, and we've seen in countries that have used it even you know in the 12 to 17 there's increased in some specific areas Um, but I'm hoping that's not going to be the case most parents I think are really really invested in keeping their kids as as healthy as possible and keeping them in person school and that's really going to be uh, possible with the vaccination for the younger kids
0: Uh, obviously just before the weekend Moderna has uh, cleared uh, their vaccine for use in those 12 to 17 how does that add to the discussion
1: it's not a real game changer. Um, you know, we already have a great vaccine and we have lots of it right now uh, in Canada. So anybody 12 and plus who wants to get the Pfizer or wants to get a vaccine at all can certainly get Pfizer. But, you know, adding another vaccine there is a, is a great thing. Um, Moderna has potentially been associated with a little bit more closely with some of the myocarditis side effects. So I don't think it's going to be a real game changer. I think most people should just continue with the Pfizer or Moderna, whichever one is available to them.
0: Uh, What advice do you have for parents who are cautious, who are anxious about sending their kids back this September?
1: Um, You know, like I said, it it is understandable. Um, I think they they need to know not to be, you know, overly anxious. You know, some people, certainly a lot of people I've spoken to are really paralyzed with that anxiety. Um, and in, in public health in decision making and in public health ethics, which is an area I work in, we just always you know, try to think about the worst case scenario. So you know, the worst case scenario when your kids go back to school is that they get COVID. Um, but ultimately, what can reassure parents somewhat is even in that worst case, you know, their kids are probably going to just have mild illness. So, you know, um, on a population level, I worry about it a lot. On an individual parent level, an individual kid level, I am not that worried, even for the worst case. We don't want that to happen, but but I would hope that people who are very anxious and almost paralyzed with anxiety can be reassured somewhat from
0: that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, doctor, but I would assume... Uh, now, uh, with the exception of the, the Delta variant, uh, variant obviously spreads quicker uh, than, than past uh, variants. So uh, obviously that is of major concern. But uh, sending a kid back to school this year, would it not be safer than it was last year just simply because we've got so, such a high percentage of those 12-plus that are already vaccinated? Why would we think there would be more issue this year than last?
1: well so first of all our case numbers are higher and as you pointed out the delta variant is much spreads much more easily but um you know a lot of the analysis in various regions and i just saw another one today that actually showed that almost 50 percent or in some cases more than 50 percent of the cases that were brought into schools were brought in by teachers adults other staff and so with those people vaccinated i think the schools are going to be a much safer place and there's no question you know the you know middle school or, or grade 7 to grade 12 with most kids hopefully Um, vaccinated and some schools certainly outside public systems they've you know they've said either you're vaccinated or you don't come back in person those places are going to be you know much safer than they were um the beginning of last school year and and that's great and hopefully all those schools move in that direction
0: do you think by christmas time by the holidays we will see full approval down to 12 uh down to 5 to uh, 12 years of age
1: i I am certainly hopeful that you know the the 5 to 11 uh, or you mean the full approval to uh, from 12 to 17, uh, hopefully we'll see earlier than that. And the 5 to 11, hopefully we'll see earlier than that as well. Um, and different jurisdictions are going to do this a little bit differently, I think. Uh, what we really need is someone to take the lead. And, and often, interestingly, Quebec has really been a leader in doing things differently with vaccines and being really successful at it and, and leading the way, not only, you know, nationally, but globally. Um, perhaps it'll be them or another jurisdiction that just goes ahead and vaccinates their 5 to 11 year old, gives it Um, some, you know, the temporary approval based on the data that we have now. And I think that's going to make a big difference. There's a lot that's going to change between now and Christmas time. So we'll just have to see.
0: What do you think about the rates of vaccination at this point? I mean, obviously, there's the final push on to get into those corners that have not been vaccinated yet. We're not seeing the mass clinics. We we don't necessarily need those now. We need a surgical approach to this. What are your thoughts on the amount of people we are still vaccinating uh, on a daily basis? Uh, are we getting to those corners we need to?
1: No, I mean, we're, we're not. As I mentioned before, there are 2 million people in Ontario who remain totally unvaccinated, So, you know, we're doing the best we can and we're going into malls and and faith centers and every possible place we can go and doing 100, 120, 70, you know, um, uh, vaccine doses. But but nowhere near enough. And I think what we've seen in other provinces is that vaccine mandate can really push some people that are hesitant um, over that line into getting vaccinated. And hopefully that'll be another five to 10 percent of population. And that will be what makes a really big difference.
0: Dr. Barry Pegas with us, public health and preventative medicine physician and professor with the Dal Atlanta School of Public Health, University of Toronto. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.